God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are yours from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So you didn't want to work in New Orleans. It's too tough for you. That's why I said to my neighbor, who recently got a police job in Slidell. He lives in New Orleans, but he doesn't want to work in New Orleans. He wants to work in Slidell. I was teasing him. I was, I was, I was kind of saying he was maybe weak, and he, he saw that. But he said, no, it's, it's not that I don't want to work here or it's too tough. It's just I know too many people here. And I got what he was saying. He knows too many people here that if, if he was a police officer here in New Orleans, at some point in some time, he would be picking up someone he knew. And then there's more cost to his job than to simply be a police officer. There's this cost of upholding justice and yet upholding your relationships too at the same time. I got it. He didn't want to be carrying someone to prison and have this hometown discount thing going on saying, you got my back, right? I know I did something wrong, but I know you. We grew up together. We went to school together. He didn't want that. That would be too, too much of a toll on him. That's why he didn't become a police officer here. He decided to do it elsewhere. I tell you that Jesus, he, in his hometown, you might expect that he would have this hometown that absolutely loved him, this, this hometown feel that maybe, as, as some small hometowns do, they put up a sign saying, Nazareth, hometown of Jesus, Savior of the world. You know how small towns do that? We can't do that in New Orleans because we have too many famous people here. But small towns put it, that's their claim to fame, that where they say, this person came from our town, and they leave it an open question as to whether it was just a stroke of luck that they grew up there, or it was actually the hometown that developed the greatness that was in them. And they make it kind of a marketing scheme. Come and see the place where this famous person grew up. If we transport ourselves to Luke chapter 4, as if we were there today, that wouldn't be the case for Jesus. Not at all. They weren't even thinking about putting Jesus' name on the front sign, the welcome sign into the, their neighborhood, into Nazareth, their town, because they were, they were angry at him, even to the point where they were about to push him off a cliff and, and kill him. They were all so upset with what Jesus had just said to them that they were ready to despise Jesus and who he was because they felt that he despised them and his roots. Because Jesus kind of did. He kind of despised his hometown. But for a good reason. As we see Jesus walking away from this angry crowd, kind of bewildered because Jesus walked right through the crowd, and it's a miracle, we slowly walk ourselves back to the beginning of the story to see what led Jesus to the edge of this cliff. And it's actually a story that we, we talked about last week, Jesus in the synagogue. He's there preaching, he reads Isaiah, and he says to them, this scripture today is filled in your fulfilled in your presence, essentially implying, I am the Messiah that you guys were waiting for. 
I'm the one that's going to give you all the blessings that God has promised to you, and I'm the one that's going to deliver it to you. Just trust and believe in me, and it's yours. And the people sat there, and they they didn't quite comprehend it at first, but then they said something that was seemingly innocent to our eyes, but it set Jesus off. If you have a red-letter Bible, the red letters are Jesus' words. And there's only one statement the people make, and the rest is Jesus' statement. And you know what they said? Isn't this Joseph's boy? It doesn't seem like anything at first or at all. They're just trying to connect the, the dots of who Jesus is, um, or so we think, because we weren't there and we don't know the, the context. And so here's the context. Jesus was actually getting to be pretty well known. He was doing miracles, he was preaching, he was prophesying, and people knew he, who he was. And so the people who saw Jesus sit right there in front of him and say, I am the Messiah, essentially, they came back with this retort. Isn't he Joseph's son? As if they couldn't see that Jesus was battling Satan, that the the herds of the devils he was casting out people, and that people who had been captured by their health and their illness, he was healing them all. And here all they can say is, this is Joseph's son. They were taking a jab at Jesus. And Jesus knew it. And that's when the red letters start coming off the page. And we don't know if it was clearly stated, these thoughts by the people, or if Jesus actually read their hearts and their minds. But Jesus knew what was going on. He pinpointed it right away. He said, you quote to me the proverb, physician, heal yourself. Do in our own country what you have done in Capernaum. People, they believed Jesus could heal and could do miracles. But they didn't believe who he really was and why he came. They looked around and they saw all the other towns around them and all the miracles that Jesus was doing and they thought to themselves, isn't this Jesus from Nazareth, our own hometown boy? Shouldn't he give us the hometown discount or the hometown attention that we deserve and do miracles right here? Create Nazareth to be the town rather than Nazareth a town, Nazareth, the town, where everything is flowing and everything is going well and everyone's healed and everyone's healthy and everything is perfect. Shouldn't Jesus do that for us? That's what they wanted. They wanted the miracles. They wanted a miracle worker who could create a wonderful environment for them there. And so Jesus takes issue with that and he says, this is not why I've come. In fact, this is the way, and this is why God acts in certain ways in Scripture. He talks about Naaman and the widow at Zarephath. He quotes them, he says, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. 
He's talking about Gentiles. The widow at Zarephath, a Gentile. Naaman, a Syrian, a Gentile. There were so many widows and so many lepers in Israel and Judea, and yet God's grace and his power almost as if it leaped over them and went outside to these foreign nations, these foreign people, and Jesus is making this implication for the people at Nazareth. It's because Israel was stubborn. And they rejected God for who he was. They wanted a God who could snap his fingers and give food to all the poor in the city and take care of them for the rest of their lives. They want to live in maybe comfort for themselves. Have government just chugging along. The economy great. They, they want all these things for themselves and they thought, Jesus, certainly, you are our hometown child. Why don't you do it? Because they defined their Savior and boundaries. That was not the Savior. They had this small view of who the Savior was. And if he wouldn't conform to that view, they took issue with it. They, they were enraged by it. That this Jesus wouldn't fit into their their own framework of their lives to prop up their own lives in such a way that it brings them comfort and happiness and joy. Instead, here he's going to Capernaum into other nations preaching. Why is he doing that when he can't help his own people? We see Jesus attack the very thing that they had. Their national pride. Jesus attacked national pride. And it's not as if he's saying to us, we can't have national pride, we can't be proud of our country. He's not saying that we shouldn't care for our countrymen around us. But he's showing us the balance. If it comes to my relationships with you, or it comes to the grace that I offer, I have to always offer grace. I have to always give my grace. Because our relationships as countrymen, they'll go away. You'll pass away. Countries come and go. The people move on to, to different places. They they, they find different people. They all of a sudden disappear from our lives. That, that all changes, but this never changes. My grace never changes. And in fact, it's my grace that gives you the greatest relationship that you need. This is the Savior you want me to be, and here is the Savior I am. And he found himself at the edge of a cliff. Now, thankfully, there are no cliffs in New Orleans. But don't take me and throw me in the canal, because these aren't my words. These are Jesus's. If our national pride or familial pride goes above and beyond God's grace, we've got to sacrifice it.
We've got to sacrifice it. Certainly, we could love our country, but, but when our country becomes the God and we try to fit Christ in that, that's when we've got to sacrifice it. Amen. Amen. When our family becomes our God and we try to fit Christ in there, that's when we've got to sacrifice it. When, when, when we don't see Christ for who he is, he, he comes to us and he brings us light through rejection because this is what Jesus was doing. It was actually him who first rejected in this whole event. He rejected their false understanding of who he was and led them to push him to the curb. I see that for myself. Because I have my own little family, my own little world that I love. I pray to God that God keep making that better and more comfortable and, and more appealing for me. And I try to sometimes fit him in there and say, when, when God doesn't do it, I say, God, why aren't you having my back? Why don't you have my back? You have made me a child. Now can't you do everything you said for me right now in my family the way I want it done? We try to fit him in into our country in a way that that cuts him off, not as a savior. And he rejects it. Says, this is who I am. If you come to a point where you reject how I come to you and the blessings and how I give them to you, then you are rejecting the blessings I have given you. Look at, there's a little jab here that the last verse is it says, after he walked away from everyone on the cliff, it says he went down to Capernaum, the, pa- the place where Nazareth was jealous of, and he preached and prophesied, and they were amazed because of the words that had authority. He's saying, these people are listening to me. They're the ones that are hearing my blessings and receive my blessings. You are only willing to, to hear me as you picture me as a savior and as a person who loves you rather than how I have loved you. And if I would have done that, then there would be no grace or no relationship at all. Because you have kept me in the borders of Nazareth, and you said, until Nazareth is great, I will keep you here. And no Gentile, no Naaman, no widow at Zarephath would ever have seen God's grace. He sacrifices our national pride our familial pride. But he only does it to give us another one. Members of the body of Christ. Citizens of heaven. Life that is eternal, not one that is passing and changes, that, that one is, is a great blessing for all our lives into eternity. The other one passes away with time. Sacrificing for eternity. The words said to Jesus, physician, heal yourself. They're words very similar to what Jesus heard later on. He can save others, but he can't save himself. 
That's when Jesus was on the cross. Everyone had a view of who Christ was, that somehow he would save himself, but it was never about Christ saving himself. If he did, he would never left the, the glories of heaven in the first place. He would never come down to this earth and live with us. He would never extended those boundaries for himself. And yet he did all the way to the cross, and he could sit there knowing that these people are thinking it about him, but he knows better because he knows who he is. He is the savior of the world, and to save the world, he must pay for our sins. And so he did, dying on the cross. He has saved everyone. And coincidentally, he rose again on the third day and lives and reigns eternally. Jesus wasn't hesitant to go to his hometown. I'm sure he knew that he would face rejection there. But here's the light in the rejection. Two things. And standing up to those who have rejected him and walking away, he was showing them, if you keep rejecting my word, God will walk away from you. Repent. In the same way, we we have our own little boundaries in our our lives. The family members that we try and work on and and the people that we, we share the gospel with and yet we are rejected and rejected. Christ is saying, don't keep those boundaries. Push out from those boundaries. There are some times when we'll have to say to someone, if you keep rejecting God's word, Christ will walk away from you. But in doing so, number two, it leads us to people who need Christ. Who are desperate for the word that is powerful, that shows them who the real Savior is. Why not work in New Orleans or in our neighborhood? Somehow it's, it's harder to share the gospel with those people we know and have known for a while for some reason. But sometimes it's, it's good to go outside those borders and find those people who crave the gospel, who need it, who listen and hear it. Because for us, Christ extended his borders. That's why you and I can say we're saved. Yes, he came first for the Jews, but then for the Gentiles. He commanded, first start in Jerusalem, then Judea. He's slowly working out from the epicenter of of Israel. Then Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Keep working out to the people who are around you, sharing that gospel, walking to the next place where we can say, here is Christ and who he is. He's anointed for your salvation. You are his. You're his child. And there we find a Savior who has been rejected for us. Rejection kind of comes only when we reject false notions. That's where it starts. When we reject the false notions of who Jesus is, we'll face rejection. But isn't that worth it? Over any relationship that we have to share grace that we can share here. Here's the greatest relationship that you can have 
that you are one body with Christ. You are a child of his. And you have a country of eternal life in heaven, paradise. What amazing, gracious blessing God has given us as light shines even through rejection. Amen. Please stand. We continue by confessing our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed, printed for you on the bottom page 5 in your bulletin. We confess. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.